All right, guys, this morning we're going to be giving our attention to Revelation chapter 9. So if you have your Bible open and find that place. If you've been with us throughout this series, you'll understand what I mean when I say that we're now in the third of the seven cyclical sections of the book of Revelation. This section began in chapter 8, which Aaron Wine taught in my place in my absence last week. And it will run through chapter 11. If you were able to be here last Sunday uh, to hear Aaron introduce this section of the book, this third section, you may remember that this particular section between chapters 8 and 11 is dominated by uh, this vision of the seven trumpets. Seven trumpets. If you've been here since the beginning, you kind of get the the sense at this point that... um, you, you can see these these different these cyclical sections in in Revelation that each one has its own sort of uh, thing that dominates that section. So in the first section it was it was the letters to the seven churches, and in the second section it was the seven seals. Now we're in the third section. It's the seven trumpets. There's going to be a, a, a section later on in the book. It's going to be the seven bowls, and 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 like I've, I've mentioned a. a number of times, and I know that Aaron reemphasized it last week, not only do these um, seven sections go in uh, a cyclical pattern with each section, as I've said, almost ad nauseum, uh, describing the same period of time over and over again, that period of time being the whole period of time between the first coming and the second coming of Jesus, but I think Aaron mentioned it last week. Not only do they, do they parallel each other in that way, describing the same period of time over and over again, but they progress in intensity as you go through the different sections, as you get deeper into the book. Um, and that's why that, this, this interpretive position of the book of Revelation is called progressive parallelism. Progressive parallel. Not only do the sections parallel each other, but they progress in intensity as you get deeper into the book. And what does that mean in practice? How does a section get, um, what in the world? Um, how, how does a section progress in intensity? Well, what it looks like in practice is that while it is true that every section describes the whole period of time between the first coming and the second period, coming of Jesus, the deeper, the deeper you get into the book of Revelation these sections spend less time talking about the early period of time between the first and second coming and more on those things that happened right before his return. Um, those things that, that happen just before the final judgment is, is revealed when Christ returns. So the, the seven seals, for example, in the second section describe principles that will be in play throughout the whole period of time. But between the first coming and the second coming. But when you move to the seven trumpets, the section we're in right now, they progress beyond the seals in that they're not just principles that are at play in a fallen world. These these trumpets announce initial measures of judgment. Initial measures of judgment against unbelievers from God. These trumpets are meant to be warnings to unbelievers that they might repent, that, and, 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 and yeah, that they would, um, yeah. So 
But the, the, sadly, the constant testimony is that they don't. They, in this section, is they don't repent. We'll notice in our chapter today that much greater focus, at, over against the chapter last week that Aaron taught, much greater focus is on the final trumpets just before the final judgment. Later on, when we come to the seven bowls um, being poured out, they are going to progress beyond these in that the bowls are going to represent the, uh, the, 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 the full and final judgments of God now being poured out. Not, not initial, not warning signs, no, the actual judgments. The full and final judgments. Uh, trumpets, think about the difference between the, 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 the visual uh, metaphor of a trumpet versus a bowl. A trumpet is meant to blow and to warn, to announce the, the soon arrival of something. A bowl is poured out, right? And, 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 and so the bowls are going to progress in intensity beyond what we see here today in that they will represent the full expression of this judgment that has now arrived. We see opportunity to repent in these trumpets. All opportunity for repentance will be gone when we get to the bowls. That being said, let's read our passage for today. We're considering Revelation chapter 9. But let's begin reading actually in chapter 8, verse 13, the last verse of chapter 8, along with chapter 9, for a little bit of context. Chapter 8, verse 13, Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet, and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth, and he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. And he opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth, and they were given power like the power of scorpions on earth, of the earth. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. And they were allowed to torment them for five months, but not to kill them. And their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair and their teeth like lion's teeth and they had breastplates like breastplates of iron and the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle they have tails and uh, stings like scorpions and, and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails they have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit his name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek, he is called Apollyon. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet, 
And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice, twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates of breastplates the color of fire and of and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lions' heads, and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues a third of mankind was killed by the fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails, for their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood which cannot see or hear or walk nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. Their thefts. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, I, I pray that you would help us as we study your word today. We acknowledge and we confess our, 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 our faith, our belief, our confidence that this, uh, this is your holy, inspired, inerrant, sufficient, clear, authoritative, and necessary word. Um, and, and therefore... Uh, it is to you that we come for help to, to, to study it. Would you please give us eyes to see the truth that, we, that you have for us in, in this? That this is not an easy passage. But please give us eyes to see the truth that you would have us to see, minds to understand it. Would you give us um, hearts to embrace and love the truth? And would you give us wills to obey whatever it is that you have us to, to do in response? Give me the help that I deeply need to teach. And would you please give us all ears to hear, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so if you were here uh, last Sunday, even though I wasn't, you heard Aaron cover the first four of the seven trumpets in chapter 8. Incidentally, if you, d- you weren't here and you did not hear his, his lesson on chapter 8, uh, you really need to go to listen to it on the podcast. It was really good. But you may have noticed... When he was moving through chapter 8 and moving through these first four uh, trumpets, that they move, he moved through them really quickly. And that's not because he was a poor manager of time. There's just not a whole lot said about him. They, they, it, the text itself moves through those first four trumpets really quickly. I mean, it covers four different trumpets, but the whole chapter is only 13 verses. Right when you come, and, and it just that just goes to show you uh, that that the focus in this section is more on the final trumpets than it is on the earlier trumpets, just the the trumpets just before the final judgment. The deeper we get into the book, the more intense it gets. Where chapter eight covered four trumpets in thirteen verses, chapter nine covers just two of them in twenty-one. 
So the amount of description given to the trumpets when you get to chapter 9 is much more elaborate than on the first four trumpets. It highlights their prominence, or at least their, their focus here, more than the others. Not only that, none of the earlier trumpets receives the, the preamble that these trumpets do, which is why we began reading in chapter 8, verse 13. Because as bad as the first trumpets were, they didn't receive the threefold woe, right, that the final three receive in chapter 8, verse 13. The first four trumpets in chapter 8 were simply announced as they came. The first angel blew his trumpet, the second angel blew his trumpet, the third, the fourth. But before it just moves to the fifth and the sixth and the seventh, it pauses in chapter 8, verse 13 to announce, woe, woe, woe for all those who will experience the last three trumpets, two of which are here in chapter 9. Much like, you remember how we studied the, the seals and the seventh seal was delayed until chapter 8? Similar thing going on here with the trumpets. We're going to get the fifth and sixth trumpets here. The seventh will be delayed until chapter 11 at the end of the, the section. But woe to those who will experience these final trumpets. And that raises one more preliminary question before we dive into the fifth and sixth trumpets. And that is, who will experience them? Woe to those who will. Well, who will? Look again at verse, chapter 8, verse 13. Then I looked, and I heard an eagle crying overhead, Woe, woe. Woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blast of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So who will experience these trumpets? Those who dwell on the earth. Who are they? Cautionary tale. Don't take it literally. I mean, it, it just if you want to just cherry pick that one, that phrase, and say, I'm gonna, that, that, those who dwell on the earth is a literal phrase, so it's just talking about those who physically live on the earth while everybody else is in heaven already or something like that, that's going to be a far stretch even with the rest of the chapter because every other description in the chapter of anything is so highly symbolic. You've got, you've got locusts that are simultaneously like humans and scorpions and they got hair like a woman's hair and, you know, it's just nothing is, is, is literal. So who are these dwellers on the earth? earth dwellers, those who dwell on the earth. Who are they? In the book of Revelation, that phrase uh, is, a, is, a, is a symbolic way of referring to unbelievers. Um, just unbelievers. We saw that as early as chapter 3, verse 10, where the Lord Jesus told the church in Philadelphia, chapter 3, verse 10, because you have kept my word about patient endurance... I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. And in chapter 6, verse 10, remember that those who were martyred for their faith in Christ cried out to the Lord in prayer, saying, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth. And we don't have time to go. But as you, as you go through chapter 11, chapter, not, not chapter 11, uh, maybe, 
chapter 13, chapter 14, chapter 16. You're going to see this phrase over and over again, those who dwell on the earth. In all of those chapters, they are presented as idolaters. Idolaters. So it's, these, these dwellers on the earth are simply another way of referring to unbelievers. And think about that, that, that uh, verse in chapter 6, verse 10. O sovereign Lord, how long before you will avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? You combine that with what we see here in chapter 8, verse 13. It shows you, again, as Aaron pointed out last week, these trumpets, especially the ones we'll see this morning, are directed toward unbelievers, but in answer to that prayer. How long, O Lord, before you avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? These initial outpourings of preliminary judgments before the final judgment are specifically presented in Scripture to us as God answering the prayers of its people. God has ordained that he will bring about many of his purposes in the world through the prayers of his people. And this is just one of the many, many ways that the book of Revelation, as we've said so many times, is not just a book about the future. It, 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 it's in a hundred different ways it equips us for the world right now and right here. Just like here. It's like saying, your prayers matter. He hears your prayers now. And that being said, we need to dive into the, to the chapter and take a closer look at the fifth and sixth trumpets. These two trumpets are very similar in nature to each other, so we'll take them in order. Let's think first about the fifth trumpet. One of, the, one of the reasons that these trumpets are given more significance than the previous ones, I think it's not quite perfectly this neat and tidy, but I think these fifth and sixth trumpets differ in nature than the earlier ones. Um, in other, in, and what I mean by that is the trumpets up to this point, especially the first, second, and third ones, have signaled physical forms of judgment that God unleashed on the world physical forms of God's judgments that would characterize the world until Jesus comes. If you think back to what Aaron said last week, he said especially about the first three trumpets that they represented natural occurrences, natural phenomena that bring about toil and strife in the world. Physical things that happen in the world. And again, these trumpets are meant to warn, warn unbelievers, warn people in general bring sinners to repentance. Events and, and, and occurrences in the world are not random. Uh, they're all by God's providential design, which we'll see again in this chapter. And, and circumstances that come our way that are toilsome, that are hard, that are wearisome, that are frustrating, are, 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 are designed in the providence of God to cause us to lay down our arms against Him. And instead, people just, and I am among them, complain about our circumstances and never give a thought to the Lord or to repentance. But we come to the fifth and sixth seals, oh, excuse me, trumpets. And they are more um, spiritual forms of judgment in the world. The vision of the fifth trumpet begins in verse 1 with John declaring, I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. Now, that's a very interesting phrase and it's very similar um, to things we read elsewhere in scripture um, most notably the, that 
uh, it's, it's reminiscent to what Jesus said in, in Luke chapter 10, verse 18. When Jesus said, of Satan, in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Now, I don't necessarily think that the fifth trumpet signifies merely Satan's activity in the world for reasons that will be clear in just a second. Rather, I think here in verse 1, I think it's indicating the judgment is the increased activity, the increased influence, not only of Satan, but all his demonic hosts in the world. How, how, how else do we know that here? Because at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2, the bottomless pit, also known as the abyss, is opened up. And the abyss, or the bottomless pit, is, 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 scripturally speaking, the place where demons are kept in prison. Recall, for example, the episode in the Gospel of Luke chapter 8, when uh, um, there was a man who was demon-possessed. Legion was a legion of demons in him. And Jesus is going to cast out the legion of demons. And what do, they, what do they say? The demons begged him, Luke 8, 31, they begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Don't send us there. Instead, they say, cast us into the herd of pigs. Right? The demons did not want to be in the abyss. They did not want to be in the bottomless pit. So it seems to be a place of imprisonment for demons. And we'll see the abyss again when we get to Revelation chapter 20, where, it, again, it will be presented as a place of imprisonment for Satan and for his demons. So having established that, this fifth trumpet seems to represent the opening of the abyss in order that, uh, in order to release and increase um, demons and demonic activity in the world as a judgment, including Satan himself. If you look down at verse 11, John says that these demons have as king over them the angel of the bottomless pit. And you, you, you assume at first glance, that's probably Satan. And that's confirmed when it goes on to say in verse 11, his name in Hebrew is Abaddon, and in Greek he is called Apollyon. In Hebrew, Abaddon means it's, those are two different words, two different languages mean the same thing. In Hebrew, abaddon means destruction. In Greek, Apollyon means destroyer. So this figure in verse 11 is described as a king and a destroyer. As far as a king, didn't Paul refer to Satan in 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 as the god of this world, little g? That has to mean something. And as far as being a destroyer, didn't Jesus say in John 10, 10 that, that Satan um, comes only to steal, to kill, and to destroy? Didn't Peter say in 1 Peter 5, 8, your adversary the devil prowls around seeking someone to devour? So this fifth trumpet represents as time goes on and gets nearer to the return of Christ, an increase in the activity of Satan and demons in the world. To do what? To do what in this fifth trumpet? Look at verse 2 again. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit, and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. 
That word darkened is heavy. Um, and and who, which apostle is, is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit? John. The image of darkness, especially in the writings of the apostle John, darkness is particularly associated with unbelief and being deceived and blinded in their sin. Uh, so, for example, remember, it's in John's gospel where Nicodemus was portrayed as coming to Jesus at night in, under the darkness, not, not just to mean the time of day in which uh, he came, but also figuratively picturing the spiritual darkness of his own heart. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? Was it not John also, who in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 say, God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So, verse 2 of chapter 9, when darkness is pictured being released from the abyss, it seems to signify the increased demonic activity in the world will be for the purpose of deceiving the nations. As Paul put it in 2 Corinthians 4, 4, to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. And what makes this trumpet so sobering is when you compare this trumpet to the one right before it. Greg Beale, in his, in his epic commentary on Revelation, it's like that thick, he makes a, a, a great observation on this. Because if you look at chapter 8, verse 12, you already see this darkness at work. The fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day might be kept from shining, and likewise a third of the night. So the fourth trumpet already had to do with increasing unbelief in the world. So if that's already happened in the fourth trumpet, what is the darkness in the fifth trumpet? And he, here's what he writes. If the darkness associated with the fifth trumpet has any link to the darkness of the fourth trumpet, then part of the harm of the fifth trumpet has to do with keeping, keeping unsealed unbelievers in spiritual darkness. It's, it's keeping them in darkness. It's hardening them in their unbelief, confirming them in their rebellion against God. That's sobering. The locusts mentioned in verse 3 are symbolic of, of demons. Locusts because, why locusts? Because he's drawing on the imagery of the Exodus plagues in the book of Exodus. And we know they're demons. I've already hinted at this because in, in verses 7 through 10, they're obviously not literal, literal locusts. They have faces like human, teeth like lions, stingers like scorpions, not like any locusts I've ever seen, which is meant to convey, though, a terrifying image of these demons. A terrifying image. And this hardening in their unbelief that they bring about in people is actually described in verse 5 as torment. People will, in verse 6, people will long to die. But, but they, they won't. <laughs> in a sense. There is a great irony going on here that I'm going to mention a little later on before we close. But this is the 
this is the crux of the fifth trumpet. That while it is unassailably true that the gates of hell will not prevail against the church and the gospel will go forth unabated to fulfill the, the great commission, the predestined purpose of God among the nations, at the same time that is going on, Satan will also be at work among the nations to further blind them and harden them in their unbelief. But don't miss the forest for the trees. This is the Lord merely using Satan to accomplish his own purpose of judgment against unbelievers. Notice the sovereignty of God in all of this. In verse 1, Satan is, quote, given the key. He's given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. Well, who had it to give? Who gave it to him? Who had possession of the key? Revelation, according to Revelation chapter 1, verse 18, Jesus did. He has the keys of death and Hades. And in verse 3, demons were given power. And in verse 4, they were told what they could and what they could not do, including you can't do anything to believers. They are sealed. And in verse 5, they were told precisely how long they could do their work. Five months. Literal? No. A short but definite period of time. I want us to keep this in mind as we think through the remainder of this chapter because it's an important piece of how we as believers ought to um, see and interpret the world we live in as we wait for Christ to return. But we need to move on in the text. Having laid out the fifth trumpet, we get to verse 12, and the first woe has passed. Two woes are still to come. We'll see one of those two remaining woes in the sixth trumpet. We see that trumpet announced beginning in verse 13. And notice the reminder we are given there that all of this from God is given in answer to the prayers of his people and their cry for help and justice. Where do we see that in verse 13? I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God. This is the same altar that is mentioned in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, where the prayers of his people are said to rise. And in chapter 8, verses 3 and 4, another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. So the prayers of the people are rising to this altar, and it's from this same altar in chapter 9 that God announces the sixth trumpet. So the, these trumpets are given in answer to the prayers of our in answer to our prayers. He, he hears our prayers. He answers our prayers. And how kind of God to bring our prayers into line with his will. Uh, Aaron talked about that last week. You should listen. But I believe we find in the sixth trumpet an even greater intensification of what we already saw in the fifth trumpet, as sobering as that is. 
In other words, more of the same, but even more severe. How so? First of all, just as they released demons in the fifth trumpet, the sixth trumpet begins in verse 14 saying, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. Who are these angels? They're wicked angels. Who are they, though? I think, in fact, if you think back to the beginning of chapter 7, do you remember at the beginning of chapter 7, we were told in chapter 7, verse 1, that four angels were holding back the four winds of the earth that no wind might blow on the earth or sea or against any tree. I don't know. I can't be certain, but I think perhaps the four angels released in the sixth trumpet are those four winds who were being held back earlier in chapter 7. That's one way it's more intense than the fifth trumpet. These, these more destructive angels are being released. A second way the sixth trumpet is more intense than the fifth one. The work that they will do in the world is more uh, significant. You, see, you get the sense of that when in, in verse 15... The precise moment is mentioned. The hour, the day, the month, the year. It's like, where were you, you know, when such and such happened? Do you remember? And you remember where you were, when it was? It's a momentous occasion. Third, in verse 16, the number of demons at work in the world is increased manifold. Verse 16, twice 10,000 times 10,000. <laughs> Fourth, in verse 17, the destruction that they bring in the earth is described, and, and we've already seen in the fifth, in the fifth trumpet, the, the destruction was, was, um, was described in terms of fire and smoke coming up from the bottomless pit, but in the sixth trumpet, sulfur is added. Sulfur is added, which sulfur is there, I think, to, to draw the, the attentive reader of Scripture back to the judgment of Sodom and Gomorrah. Fifth, in verses 15 and 18, we see that these, unlike the demons in the fifth, in the fifth trumpet, these are, are, are permitted to kill and take lives. How does this happen? How do, how do the demons take lives? Through the demonic influence of people. I... Watch the news. I, 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 can't, I can't say with absolute certainty that people who go up and shoot up schools and stuff, that 100% for sure they're demonic possessed, but you, you would, it wouldn't take a lot of twisting of my arm. Who does that, right? Through the demonic influence of, of governments and systems, who are capable of taking lives. You see this idea in verse 19 where the demons use means, by means they wound. The sixth trumpet is an intensification of the fifth one in multiple, multiple ways. But there's an irony here that I hinted at earlier that is important for us to consider as we come to the end of the chapter and bring this to a close. 
recall what the purpose of these trumpets are. They are initial forms of judgment that God brings into the world prior to the return of Christ, not only to bring partial, partial judgments on the wicked, but it is, it is all the while mixed with mercy. Mixed with mercy because there is opportunity to repent. But if, if, if the end of this chapter shows us anything, it is the deep-seatedness of our sin and blindness. Because twice in the last two verses, it is emphasized that despite the opportunity, the unrighteous did not repent. But where's the irony? The irony is why they didn't repent. Why? We're told in verse 20 that the reason that they didn't repent is because they did not want to give up the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot hear or walk. They loved their sin. And just like Jesus said, they loved the darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. The irony is that they were presented in the fifth trumpet as being tormented and loathing life itself because of the judgment of God. Judgment because of the works of their hands and their idolatry but that they refused to give up. In other words, they were destroying their own lives. And they didn't even know it. They would blame God before they blamed their own sin. And while we could be tempted to read this chapter and think that because believers are sealed from all of this, you see that in verse 4, that there is no warning in this for us at all. This is just for them. It ought to be a sobering word for us too, not to take our own sin too lightly. John Owen famously said, be killing sin or sin will be killing you. And finally, this passage teaches us how to understand the world we see around us and help us as we bear witness to Christ in it. Because this passage presents unbelievers as persisting in their sin that they believe that they love, but which is actually ruining their lives and tormenting them. If anything, it teaches us that there is, there's more going on than what appears on the surface. The world is broken. And despite the facade that people wear on their face, we all know it's true. That's the point. But as we close out this chapter, it's a deep encouragement to know that God hears our prayers and that he not only will bring all evil under judgment, he is doing it even now. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, thank you so much for um, this word. I, it's, it's a hard word. And, and it's hard because not only because it, Revelation is just a hard book, It's hard for us to even wrap our minds, really, around demonic activity in the world. 
especially in Western culture. And I pray we would feel the weight of this chapter. And in these trumpets, as, as, as sobering as these fifth and sixth trumpets are, we would not miss the mercy extended in them or repentance to unbelievers. And I pray that if there's any here within the earshot of my voice who haven't repented and believed that today they might do that and help us all to follow hard after Jesus and not take our sin lightly. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.